0: Good to see you all. We're really, really happy. It feels summery, but it's going to get cold next week. Uh, and uh, we're, we're excited to be learning together. Again, if you're here, uh, you know that there's been some changes just with our masks. And if you're watching online, we're just excited. We feel like things are opening up and we're feeling a sense of excitement. And, uh, and if you trickled in just a little bit later, I just want to say special welcome to you. If you're new or this is still kind of a new experience. Uh, My name is Dominic, and I'm uh, one of the leaders here, and we really try to create like a safe space for people to learn and to grow and to really understand the Bible better as we're we're learning. And I want to tell you something that happened to me a few weeks ago as I begin is I got an invitation maybe like a month ago now. I had got an invitation from the Canadian Bible Society. It's an organization that gives Bibles away, free Bibles, and uh, they asked me if I'd be on a podcast to talk about why people are kind of not reading their Bible consistently or how some people are reading their Bible less than they have before. And it was an interesting interaction, and and as they were chatting with me, they had asked me that question, you know, in your church, as part of being a pastor, do people read their Bible regularly? And I was like, I hope. And then they said, well, is there anything that we can do to help people really take the Bible seriously so that they would learn the scriptures and worship and grow? And I said something, either it's going to be in the recording or I said it while we were chatting. As I said, one of the reasons I think we don't read our Bible consistently is that we don't learn enough about the sacrifices that were made to get us our Bible. Like a lot of people think like the Bible just fell out of the sky, right? And it's like, oh, it's God's word. It's somebody went on a mountain like the Ten Commandments and got them and that's it. But this morning, I want to kind of help us as we learn in this series that we've called Convictions to understand better the sacrifices that were being made early on in the story of Christianity so that people would pass on the story of Jesus to us, so not only that we would have a Bible, but that we would have a Bible in our own language, so that we could just read it and hear it and learn it. And you know, that doesn't mean that the Bible is always easy to understand. It doesn't mean that you're always going to make time, and I, I say this all the time. You know, for some of you, maybe this is a first step, like instead of reading the Bible every day, maybe you're reading it every second day, and that's a good next step for you, right? Or maybe you're just reading it a little bit in the morning. So there's no legalistic rule to be like, if you're not reading it every day or if you're not going through the whole Bible in a year, shame on you. You know, that's not what this is about. But it is important to say that it's very hard to grow as a Christian if reading the Bible and growing together in understanding the Bible doesn't become at least a priority in some way in your life. And so we want to help with that, okay? We're here to help, and one of the things we've talked about, so I'm going to say it one last time, is we have a Bible study coming up, and that's for anyone, beginner, been a Christian for a long time, just a Bible study to kind of introduce to you through the, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark together, you can go online and sign up, and you know, it's a great time before summer really hits to say, you know what, in a few weeks, I'm just going to try to sign up for that and learn with us, and so I want to encourage you to think about that. To think about how God maybe is calling you to grow in this area and this is a great season to do that in and we actually have been looking at, in a series called conviction about what it means that people who were learning from the Bible people who had the Old Testament were having to relearn to read the Old Testament to understand who Jesus was I mean they had a Bible they had the great stories of the prophets of Israel but now they're like okay how does Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, how does that fit into the story? Like I don't always know, Like, it's, it's kind of hard to know. And so we're doing what the earliest Christians were learning to do. We're always asking ourselves, how does our life fit in the story of what God's doing? How, how do we learn to grow in, these, in this area? And this morning I wanna to talk to you about an issue that probably none of you have a problem with, and that's the issue of conflict. Okay, probably none of you have conflicts at work, you have no conflicts in your marriage, but today I'm going to give you some tips about conflict that will help you when you have a problem. Okay, now in the Bible, you might be surprised, there are a lot of churches who are great at having conflict. Okay, Christians are famous for like loving one another one day and hating each other the next. You know, we kind of do that really, really well, and if you don't believe me, just come be part of the 180, it's wonderful. We're really great at being like, we know we should love one another and forgive, but not every day. And so this morning I want to talk to you about an important time in the Bible where convictions had to kind of be dealt with to move beyond just having conflict. And this is a big issue in our culture. We felt it even over the past few years about people who had a sense of conviction, and those convictions didn't lead to clarity, didn't lead to character growth, didn't lead to maturity, but led to conflict. Conflict to the point that many people I know I've talked with have lost friends or family members people They still don't talk to because they disagreed over something political or something theological And you'd be surprised the Bible actually addresses this issue Now if you've been with us in this series, maybe online and you can go back and watch one of the sermons I've tried to give you different meanings for the word conviction Okay, the word conviction can mean a lot of different things, but I want to give you a new one this morning that the word conviction in English comes from two words, they're actually Latin words. We hear them in them, you separate them, it's con and victus is the other word, right? And actually means to win with others. And in English, the best way to understand that is conviction is something that allows you to share something that's so important to you that you would win some other people over to that perspective. And oftentimes for us, conviction is a way that we state our opinion so that we know that other people are wrong and that we're right. And actually, the Bible says, no, no, convictions shaped by the Spirit of God, convictions shaped by the Scriptures are those you hold on to, but you hope to win other people over to. And so how you share those convictions, how you live those convictions, that matters a lot. And so this morning, as we begin, I want to talk to you about this letter in the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful uh, letters in the New Testament we have. Is the letter to the Romans. The letter to the Romans is, is kind of a meaty, robust letter in the New Testament. Okay, and I'm going to take some time and explain to you the letter a little bit but I want to do it by, by showing you something that you might not do if you read the letter of Romans on your own. I want to go to the end of the letter of Romans and then kind of move back a little bit to kind of give you the context and for the rest of the week, when you can, you might just say I'm going to read through this letter. It's a few chapters, it won't take a long time. It'll probably take you less time to read through the letter through the Romans than to watch an episode on Netflix. Okay, just a, okay maybe it depends how long the episode is but roughly get 45 minutes to an hour you know you just can go through it and read it and be like "Well, I understand some of this Romans chapter 8 probably is one of the most beautiful passages about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there's no sense of shame and feeling that your failure might keep you from God's love so you know Romans maybe already by verses that you've heard but maybe you don't know the whole book well and I want to prepare you to kind of understand it better by showing you that at the end of the book of Romans we are told about a person who brings the book of Romans to the church in where? In Rome. Okay, that was an easy one. Okay? The letter to the Romans is a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. Now, if you want to take down notes and you want to understand the context, Paul is probably writing this letter to the church in Rome when he's in Corinth. So he's in another part of the ancient world, and he knows that the church in Rome is having some problems, they're having some conflicts, he wants to encourage them you know and so what he's gonna do is gonna write them a letter and this is very common in the Bible the letter is sent before Paul goes it's like the letter gets there before he gets there and in the letter he says I can't wait to come there and to see you I can't wait to finally show up and see you face to face with no masks you know I can't wait to kinda see you smile and hug you and be with you so he sends the letter and this is what we're told near at the end of the letter of the book of Romans that the person who brings it it says I commend to you our sister Phoebe a deacon of the church in Chetria, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. I don't know if you ever thought about this, that the messenger of the letter to the Romans is a woman. It's an early church disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus, and the Bible calls her a deacon. A special leader. That's why sometimes you'll see women who are deaconesses. Now, if you don't know this, let me just tell you about a good conflict. Churches are having great conflict about the role of women in the church. People have a real conviction about who can do what and when. And this comes already in the story of the Bible. And Paul says, listen, you need to understand that while you have those debates, God is using people in many different ways. And imagine receiving the letter if the Church of Rome, like somebody rings the doorbell here at the warehouse, says, we got the manuscript, Paul's letter, Paul wrote to you guys, and it's Phoebe, she brings it to us, and we're like, this is amazing, and then she would tell us about what's going on and how she's serving in the church, and I want to tell you how important this is for people who had to think through these convictions, to be like, what does this mean that God that Paul is telling about, the God that Jesus told us about, is using everybody no matter where they are, yes, that's what he's doing, he's using people who are ready to be obedient and to serve, and to go and to be messengers of the story. And Phoebe's gonna go. She's gonna sacrifice her job, her time, and say, I'm gonna do this. Just like some of you. Sacrifice your time to be here to clean the building. Sacrifice your time to teach with our kids. You're sacrificing your time. You're doing what Phoebe was doing, and she went. And Paul says, I can't wait to be there. And while she's there, make sure you help her, support her, whatever she might need. Now, you need to understand like Rome was such a strategic location for the church. It was such a strategic location for Christianity, and Paul knows this. One, it's in the capital, right, which is a big deal. The emperor often was there. Like, really influential people were there, governors. So the church in Rome is really, really important. And Paul, if you read the letter to the Romans, has an idea that he hopes to visit Spain from Rome. So he's trying to prepare things so that he could go to Rome, get some support, and then be like, hey, we need to get the message of Jesus to the people in Spain as well. So when you read the letter to the Romans, you're going to pick that up in the letter. But the most important thing is I want you to remember this, if you're writing this down, you understand, is that the church in Rome is strategic to what God wants to do in the ancient world. It's very strategic. Paul is going to go there, Peter's going to be there. And you might not know this, but every time I read the, tr- the letter to the Romans, I always think of how strategic our location is to God's work today. Maybe some of you don't think of that, but Quebec is such a strategic place. For where god is at work this is such a strategic place one because we deal with many languages you got a, a first-hand experience of that in worship today right we you're basically feeling what it would have been like to be in the new testament jews greeks latin people learning language tra- what's that word mean how do we translate that it's a strategic place where languages and cultures all come together and and this past friday night we had a great time with some students and some people. Some of you were able to be there at our climate change event, downtown Montreal, and as I was going to the event, it was at Ambrose House, this wonderful space downtown that we're praying that God would use us to be more involved in. I just thought, we are standing, learning about one of the most complicated topics of our time, climate, between two, just let's say, English universities that together hold about 80,000 students who are gonna be the future leaders of this country, right here in this province. So I think about how special it is that Paul, and when God is at work strategically preparing churches and people to be in those spaces, to be in a context where God's gonna use them, where they're developing leaders, where they're gonna have to grow. Maybe this morning for you, you need to be reminded that where you are is very strategic to God. In your work, in your marriage, in your your years of life, wherever you're at, however old you feel today, God doesn't just place you in a place and be like, well, I hope it works out for you. He doesn't do that. God places us in unique places because through us, there's a strategic way that he uses us for the sake of what he wants to do. Now, when I was young, I always loved that God would place me in a strategic place for what I wanted to do, not what God wanted to do. I just hoped God would help me do more things that I want to do. And as you read the Bible, you realize God places people in certain places. He blesses them in those places, but He says, you're in the strategic place for what I want to do through you. This week, what would change in your week if you got up every day and said, I'm going to work, I'm going to take care of the kids, I'm going to go mow, mow the lawn, I'm going to, wherever I am, next to my neighbor, where I live, on my street, this is a very strategic place that God has placed me here for a reason. You see a friend or a neighbor, you just say, God, you've been doing this from the beginning. You've been placing people in strategic places to do something unique for your glory. I promise you, if you start to do that regularly and you have a bad day and you're frustrated and you're like, I can't wait to get out of here. You know, not that any of us want to leave Quebec. What's up? Okay. You know, I can't wait. It's better somewhere else. You know, like the rosy glass. Oh, it's going to be so much better if I go there or there. Every place that I've lived since I've been a pastor, the people who live in that place hate where they live. Every place. I'm in Calgary. We hate it here. I'm in Ontario. We hate it here. The Maple Leafs suck. Anyway, we, wherever. <laughs> that was the anointing. That I, felt, I never feel that, but that was. We love you if you're watching from Ontario. Don't turn it, don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. Okay. <laughs> but like we feel it's better somewhere. It's so much better somewhere else. And God's like, no, no, it's good. It's going to be better where you are when you trust me. It's going to get better there. And Paul sends Phoebe to go to Rome with this letter. And as he sends this letter, we're gonna back up just a little bit to feel the letter, he's gonna to talk to them about a challenge that they have that has to do with people's convictions that are leading to conflict, major conflicts in the church. This is how he begins that section now. I wanna to go to chapter 14, just so you can hear it. It says this, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He writes this to a church. And he says, listen, before I show up, I need you to get really, really serious about what it means to accept others in your midst who are weak and who, in a sense, they, they might struggle as they hear the church arguing about stuff. They might struggle if they're new in their faith as they hear Christians fighting about what to do and what not to do. And they're like, I'm so confused. Like, what do you guys believe? Like, what's the right thing to do here? Paul knows that Christians are already having these quarrels. They're, they're, they're having debates. and In a few minutes, I'm going to show you what that issue is. But this is such an important reminder for us that in the midst of having deep convictions, and trust me, Paul has some deep convictions. Paul says you also have to learn that some convictions that you have don't always have to lead to a fight. Some convictions that you have, even though they're the right convictions in the wrong context with the wrong people, become the wrong thing. Over these past few years, let me tell you, I met some people who were part of churches who thought they were very strong, but deep down, they were very weak. They were not able to just keep their mouth shut for simple things. We all can feel this. We, we just are not able. because If you've ever said this, maybe it's just me, if you've ever said this, I just have to speak up. I, I can't keep quiet. I have something to say. And I felt that. I'm like, yeah, I do, but this is maybe not the right time. And so we wrestle with that, and we're struggling with that. And so one of the things I want to tell you is that Paul says, you need to accept each other as you're working stuff out, as you're kind of growing and learning. And most likely, the word weak here is someone who's newer in the faith. That's what the word means. It doesn't just mean somebody who's being Just somebody who's a new Christian, starting to kind of make sense of their faith, and they hear stuff, and they're like... Okay, idols, worshiping, what do we master, slaves? Like what do we do with that? Women, men, what do we do with that? Right? They have all these questions, good questions. And the word he uses in the slide, if you could just put it up for one more second here. The word he uses, which is like disputable matters, the word disputable means matters that require dialogue. Okay, matters that require dialogue. Actually, the Greek word here is the word we get our English word dialoguing over. Okay? This is such a gift to us to have this letter. Do you know that? Paul says the church will be the place where people are accepted before they all agree. Isn't that great? That you're accepted. We are accepted to each other. We love each other. Even though we sometimes are still not sure, we agree on all things exactly the way we should. Now, on the essentials, Paul is going to emphasize. This is really important that you don't mess these things up. But there's other things. Now, you know what my habit has been over my life? And I'll just be honest, confession moment in my life. And I've noticed this pattern in my life that whenever I'm around people that I don't like, I could just move on. You ever find that? You're around people that you don't like, I could mock them and make fun of them behind their back. And there's something so profound that Paul says, no, 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 no. Those who are part of the community of people who say they love Jesus and love God and believe in God will not just move on when they have something that they have to deal with. Will not just say, I'm out of here and I don't care. They're gonna commit to the biblical principle of maturity. We live in a world where everybody moves on whenever they don't like something. And God's given us two gifts to help us with this: church and marriage. Some of you don't. And I know some of you are next to somebody, they're like, I'm trying to move on, I can't. Hold on, hold on. It's that temptation to forget, no, no, we made a covenant. There's a covenant that's here that requires that we listen and wait and grow and you know I was bugging my wife this week about this we were talking about we're going to be married 19 years soon and we were like laughing and I'm like would you do it again with me It was guys never never I'd never do that I was like I think I said no I said I said no she got mad I said I don't know hon like you now or are you in the past which are you and the minute you, get, you ask for clarification, you just gotta run, just walk, just start walking outside and never come back. That's, that was my problem. I asked for clarity. Like, well, you like, no, She like, what you're supposed to say is like, ah, oh, my goodness, I failed. <laughs> Everything in our culture says, hey, things are not the way you want them to be. You're not happy yet? Guess what? Just move on. Unfriend. Unfollow. Ghost. Mock. Just, just do that. And then Paul's like, not here. Here we stay, we grow, we love, we accept, we listen, we, we can have convictions, and one of those convictions will be is that we just don't move on. And the thing that Paul's not saying that there's not times where you're in a difficult situation and you need to move on. Don't get me wrong. There are those situations, but in general, I would say our culture is oh, just quickly move on, it is too hard, this and that. He says, no, no. Not for those of you who are part of this community. Remember, this is a letter a church is getting from Paul to read through. And then the next step, he's going to tell us, this is the challenge that the church in Rome is facing. If you read this by yourself, you might be like, this is so weird, why are we even reading this? But this is what he says. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Vegetarians right there. The one who eats everything, it's true, it's true. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. If you're taking notes and you're writing in your Bible, you're probably going to write at some point, who cares? Who cares about what people are eating? Because you can fail to understand the story of the church in Rome and the context of the church in Rome that this is a major issue of convictions, which goes to show you that convictions for Christians have changed over time. Convictions be, are culturally sometimes modified based on when time you live and where you live, and I'll talk about those just in a minute. But let me just explain why this is such a big deal. When I was thinking about the sermon and just the, the name of the ser- the, for the sermon, I just, we called the, the, the sermon like, what's for dinner? Because you almost a feeling of like, oh, we'll come over for dinner, but what are you guys eating? Meat, is there meat? Meat? Ah, I'm going to be busy. We don't do meat. Just vegetables? And right away, you're meant to feel that people who Paul is writing to, people who are Christians, are sharing life together. They're, they're living together. That means they're eating together. A potluck is coming, by the way. Don't worry. We're finding ways to be with each other, and this issue of eating together was connected to a deep conviction, a deep concern. And here's the concern that certain people in the ancient world bought meat at a place that the meat was sacrificed to an idol. And Christians wrestled with, is it okay to eat meat from a store? I was going to say Depanur, but if you buy meat at a Depanur, it's bad news. Never eat that meat. But is it okay to, to buy meat somewhere and to eat it, knowing that it's maybe sacrificed, part of it was often given to the temple, to the god, and the other part was sold? Does that violate our faith? Some people said, yes, we should never do that. You're supporting the government. You're supporting the state. You're helping them continue to worship their pagan gods. And other people said, listen, there are no other gods except one god. So if you're in a place where you're struggling to have food and meat is there and you're close to a place where there is meat and you're okay with that as a family, just just it's okay to eat. See how paul is doing this beautiful tension of saying you can have convictions but have clarity before you have a conflict over this talk and listen pay attention that this is something bigger than just eating meat and there'll be some people who just want to eat vegetables and some who just want to eat meat and i love this like the bible is so practical it's it's like a real problem years ago i, I felt this because someone in our family uh, that we loved dearly, struggled, had really a bad experience with alcoholism and family members dealing with alcohol. And I knew that if I was with them, I would always abstain and be very, very careful about, you know, not making it difficult or complicated or bringing up bad memories of a painful path. Why? Because I just wanted to model a kind of generous way of understanding. Now, some people say, you see that? We got to stand for this and you're never going to ever drink. No, let's, let's slow it down here. Let's just listen, be wise. Paul's already dealing with this with the church here in Rome. He's already helping them say, you need to be the kind of community that at this point you should be able to work some of this stuff out. Let's make it more personal. Maybe I can start a fight for you and your wife in your car on your way home, okay? What would be a disputable matter that we face today? If you had to pick a disputable matter that we're fighting with, because we might not fight over meat, sacrifice to idols, what might that be? And I just have three little words on the screen, you'll see them up here and I'm gonna walk you through them. But I'm just curious, you could put the slide up. A disputable matter that we face today. Okay, it'll come up. There we go, okay? What are disputable matters today, if you would pick one? Just think about it, you don't have to yell it out. I can tell you one that I faced my whole life. Should pastors have tattoos? <laughs> Whoo, thankfully yours doesn't, but I don't know. That's a, well wait, a, there's a verse somewhere about tattoos in Leviticus, the Bible says that, what do we do? Right? You, you feel that, that seems like a big issue, like what do we do? Is it possible that that meant that those are symbols on their bodies connected to worshipping pagan gods? Perhaps. The answer is yes. And then maybe a person who gets a tattoo today is not thinking of worshipping a pagan god. So you see, sometimes it's something understanding a, a text. For some of you it might be the role of women, for some of us, it might be something cultural. For the earliest Christians, there was historical tensions. In the letter to the Romans, one of the massive tensions that they have is that people who are not Jews are becoming Christians. So the Greeks are coming to the church now and they're like, we're fine, we're coming to the potluck and we're bringing lamb. We're, bringing we're like, no, no, you can't, just vegetables at this, this potluck. So, so just think about how great this is, that the blessing of new people coming to the church is causing a conflict in the church again. That God is doing amazing things is adding to challenges for them. How many people do you think in the church of Rome would have said quietly, do we really need these Greeks here? Do we really need these people here with their smelly food, their weird songs? I I know the feeling. I don't want to be around anybody that's not like me. I like me and some of you. But, but not if you're too different. If you're too different, then it kind of gets weird. But in Romans, Paul says as Christians, the Spirit of God is, has filled you with wisdom and understanding to have a conviction but to avoid conflict for matters that are disputable matters. There are different matters. There's historical issues that maybe you're carrying. Somebody hurt you in the past, and you're bringing that forward. If you're in our EHS class, you know that some of the class is about that. Linguistic matters. You translate words differently. Christians would have had a lot of trouble as they're translating Greek and Latin and Hebrew ideas to be like, oh, I misunderstood you, I'm sorry. Misunderstanding, you know? All those beautiful things. I just wanna share with you, years ago, I read a, a, a quote, and it's of a pastor who lived during a time where the church needed to have such deep convictions. He was actually a Lutheran pastor, and he lived in a time where Germany and Nazism was on the rise, and he felt a deep conviction that the church should stand against Nazi Germany for for killing the Jews, not just Jews, but just a killing machine. And maybe you heard his name. His name is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And he decided that his convictions meant that he was going to, with some people plan a type of coup against Hitler? And it was discovered, and he was put in prison. And at 39 years old, he was killed by the Germans. Deep convictions. Not everybody did this, but he did that. But he also wrote in his life, sometimes when he was in prison or before that as a theologian, about what it means to hold convictions and to be people who grow and love each other through that. And this is a quote from him, I'm just gonna have it on the screen here, you can see it. He says this, those who love their dream of Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself, become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may have been ever so honest. This is deep. All of us, all of us, no matter where we are, we dream of a community of people that are just like us. That's called a country club, not a church. This church will never be a country club. Never, that means you tell your friends whether they're new to the faith or whether they're struggling in the faith or whether they were hurt in the faith that they will be accepted here and that we will model an acceptance because this is not a country club. This is a place where we dialogue and we grow and we have essentials that we stand by and then we say, okay, this is kind of a unique thing that we have to think about. Disputable issues, and maybe for you, you've never done this before. You've been in a conflict and you've never stopped to be like, I'm just angry or I'm frustrated. This feels right to me to say, maybe this is not worth making a big deal about right now. If you're a parent, you learn that fast. If you're in a difficult relationship, you have a, if you have a, a horrible boss, you, you, you realize the importance of just saying, okay, I gotta hold this. Now imagine now, you translate that to the life of the church, to be Christians together, to learn to grow together. Bonhoeffer has this profound quote for us to be like that we would be those who would destroy what God is doing because we make our convictions so rigid that we can't dialogue or listen to anyone else. And this is what he says next. Paul says next. It's so profound. He says this. He says, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whatever we live or die, we belong to the Lord near the end of that chapter. He says, for this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You you might not see this, but this is about Easter. That to deal with this issue of conflict in the church, Paul's like, let me take you back to what Easter's about. Let me take you back to the day you understood that when you were dead, Jesus was raised to life. And now that means you're raised to life. And that means that the Lord who we worship is the Lord of those who've gone and those who are alive. And that same Lord has given you the strength, will give you the strength to live as those who are fully alive. It's very interesting. We would never connect a debate about food with Easter. A debate about what to eat. But Paul's going to move everything and say, "No, no, let's take it back to what is a conviction we must hold on to. The conviction that we want other people to understand that Jesus can be their Lord too that Jesus loves them, too. I know people and you know people who don't believe that. I know people that if you tell them you came to church today, will say you wasted your Sunday morning. You could be pulling weeds out of your grass. Some of you are like, I know. You could be doing so many other things. But there's something about being together and saying, no, no, it's in this space with others who I disagree with, who I'm learning from, who I'm learning about, who speak differently and have different backgrounds and have different stories. Some have been Christians for a long time. Some are just starting to learn about Jesus, that God is doing something, and he's shaping something in me, and he's molding something in me. Is there a disputable matter that is important to you that you could be gracious with with someone else? That you could say, uh, just help me to understand your perspective. Help me to understand how you see this. Maybe this doesn't have to divide us. Maybe like, I'll come along and we'll dialogue and I'll see your perspective better than I understood it before. This is the gift of us being together and sharing our life together. Sharing our life together. You know what's one way to avoid all of this? Just don't go to church. Don't get married, don't go to church. Just, just leave. But I promise you this, that if we don't learn to be people who grow in maturity, this will follow you in every relationship of your life. That's what's the gift of the scriptures. That when we are faithful to what God calls us to be and do and to grow, that those gifts bless us in other areas of our life. They bless us when we have to live with other people when we're even outside of the church. We're blessed because we learned something deep about how God healed something in us. How God taught us not to be angry. How God taught us in a moment of conflict where we felt, this is getting here, to step back and say, hey, this is too much. Maybe there's a misunderstanding here. We would model that. This morning, God has a gift for many of us that would help us through some of the most painful conflicts you will face. And you will face them. Deep conflicts, deep issues that you're going to have to grow in and understand in a new way. Can I just remind you, if you missed last week, the person who's writing the letter to the Romans was a destroyer of the church. If you don't believe that people change, and if you don't believe God can take people of deep conviction and help them to grow in those convictions, you're not learning the Bible. You're not learning that it's Paul himself who's writing this letter. Like, do you see how much he's changed? If he was there, he would say, like, I wish I understood this better when I was killing people who didn't believe what I believed, the way I believed it. That's what he's going to do. What a gift to us to have this letter and to see Paul's life being changed. Maybe some of you are frustrated because someone you love or your kids or your co they're not changing the way you want them to change. You ever try to change someone? I can't even change me. But then I see people and if only they would change. If only. If only they did what I did. If only I could fix you. The gift of Paul saying, "Let, let God work. Just some patience here. Let's have a dialogue. Let's grow. Let's listen. Let's understand this better. He, it's right in the New Testament. It's right in the church there. And right at the end, I'm going to leave you with the last verse and it's the one that'll punch you right in the face. It's the puncher. You leave it right for the end. Let us therefore make every effort, circle every, every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, meaning mutual encouragement in the faith. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. One, like, the fact that God would let us destroy his work is crazy to me. Like, I'm like, oh, no, you know, God is sovereign. No matter what we do, he's going to do what he wants. Paul's like, no, no, you can act in a certain way that violates what God wanted to do here. That destroys some of the things that God wanted to do in your life and in the life of your kids. You will destroy that because you're fighting and arguing and causing confrontation. There's time for that, but maybe this is not the time. There's times for that, but maybe you need to wait. Maybe you need to surrender, pray, reflect. If I gave you like 30 seconds before I close and and, and you had to put in your own word, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of blank. What would you put there? Ego, it's a good word. I have a word I thought about. I was praying, I'm like, God, just deal with me first. Deal with me. You know what word I would put in there? Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of revenge. Just to get someone back. Just to say, I told you so. Do not destroy the work of God. Whatever that is, we need to learn to read the scriptures and to hear that there's a way of having convictions that are not just leading to disputes and arguments to the point that people are confused. They're like, we don't even know what you guys believe. We're like, what's going on here? It's like I'm coming to see you. Phoebe's coming first, but I want you to grow in this. I want you to mature in this area. And you know what that's going to take? I promise you this. What it's going to take is for you and I to really care about the work of God. Because some of us care about our lives and then God. We don't care about our lives for the sake of the work of God. Paul says, "You care about what God's doing." you care about God's work in the world, then pay attention to this issue. Because if you don't pay attention to it, it's the issue that will violate and make it more confusing than ever for other people to ever understand who Jesus is. To ever understand how Jesus loves us and gives us the strength to learn together. I'm convinced that we will never get mature in this area until we really start to care about the work of God in the world. The work of God in our lives and in our community Maybe that's something you need to surrender today. That you think of Christianity as kind of some religious idea and the cultural thing that you do for, it helps your family and it keeps your kids safe. That's not why we're here. We're here for the sake of the work of God. Each of you. And just like Phoebe, your life is going to matter. God has placed you in a place where it matters a lot. So this Try. Sit down, read this chapter, and write down three items that are disputable things that you fought over. That you might say, "I need to surrender this to God." I've argued over this. I still feel very strongly about this, but I don't want to have a conflict about this. Maybe, just maybe, God's going to stir in your heart an opportunity for you to ask for forgiveness and say, "Listen, I think we got into an argument over COVID, over some other issues, and we don't talk anymore. Like, I want to say I'm sorry. I want to say I'm sorry." I think I, I, I saw it through a lens. And I, I you know, can I do that? Maybe, maybe somebody will do that to you. And if they do, accept them. Accept them. Say, I love you. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Just stand as we close. Father, thank you for our dear dear sister Phoebe. Thank you for leading her by the Spirit with the letter from Paul to the Romans. That we are beneficiaries of her sacrifice, of Paul's sacrifice, of those who came before us so that we would read this letter today and be reminded that you are at work in this world, that you are at work in us, And that there's some things that we can have deep conviction about, but yet should be careful of the kind of conflict that confuses others. Would you help us to be a community of faith that fights against everything in us that makes us a country club where we just always agree? And to make it a safe place to grow and to learn and to listen and to model your patience the way you've been patient with us. Thank you for how you're doing this and we pray that this is a gift we would give to the next generation. Would you remind us of how strategic it is that you are building a church here in Quebec and that you've invited us to be part of that. Go with us now, Father. By your spirit, do something deep in us as these words continue to come alive in us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless everyone. Love you guys. See you soon.